Hey soccer friends, I just want to give a shout out to our partner, Team Player. They are changing the game on how you find the perfect soccer team for your player. Parents, this means no more endless social media scrolling to find information on teams. With Team Player, everything you need to know is just a few clicks away. It's simple, straightforward, and lets you find the best coach and team for your player without any of the usual headaches. And coaches, we all know how tough it can be to get your team noticed, but when you subscribe to one of Team Player's team plans, you instantly get access to set up an online team profile that allows you to reach more potential players and showcase what your team is all about. It's super easy and lets players and parents see why your team could be the right fit for them. And if you sign up using the promo code PITCH, you can try any team plan free for one month. So whether you're managing a team or searching for one, come on over to www.teamplayer.us. That is T-E-A-M-P-L-A-Y-R dot U-S. And come give Team Player a look. Hello, this is Ian Babcock, your host of Chat by the Pitch. This week, I sat down with Raymond Martinez with Rayos FC. He is the Director of Coaches, also known as the DOC. We sit down and talk about everything Rayos is doing. This is a two-part episode, like most of my interviews. I think this is the best way to break it up for you all. But we sit down and chat and dive deep into Rayos' philosophy as a club, what they're doing, and what they're trying to do to make things work for them. And I think they're doing a phenomenal job of building a culture there that is at the next level and really pay attention to how he talks about purpose and what they're trying to do. I think this message gets lost so easily listening to coaches talk and other DOCs talk, but the word purpose comes up quite a bit in this interview and pay attention to that. So let's start this chat and head to the pitch. I'm coach Raymond Martinez. Uh, I'm with Rayos FC or Rayos FC. Um, a little bit of background on me uh, as far as playing history and stuff. Uh, I played for Northside High School here in Fort Worth. And I got introduced to the sport a little bit later. Uh, It was actually a friend of mine that introduced me to it my sophomore year in high school. So somewhere early in my sophomore year, uh, we were just kind of playing in the gym uh, through PE class. And he's like, hey, man, you're pretty good. Like, you should try out for the soccer team. And he was... He was also a sophomore and he was already on varsity. So the guy was pretty good already, but he kind of inspired me. And I was like, man, I'm going to try it. So uh, that was kind of my introduction initially into the sport. I tried out, started on JV, made captain the first year. Uh, I was never the best technical player. Uh, I was more of a high intensity player that was always going at 110 uh, as far as effort. So, uh, like I said, never the best technical player, just 
very hard worker, always wanted to outwork the next guy, uh, a good leader. Um, and I kind of led by example. So I think that's kind of why the coach initially made me the captain uh, to the JV team. Uh, my junior year, I got bumped up to varsity and, and uh, the school, school, Northside High School's program's always been pretty good. Uh, it's run by Coach Biggerman, which actually retired and went back uh, here recently to to re to start coaching the program again. Um, but he's got a bunch of district titles. I mean, we won district every every year that I was there. Uh, we won regionals one time when I was there. Um, so I graduated in 04, uh, played a little bit of club soccer there through some friendships, uh, went to Texas Lightning, played select. Uh, I think we played in uh, Arlington Premier in the first division over there. Uh, had a coach that didn't know much, so I can't say that I took very much away from that as far as the coaching side. Um, to us, it was more, you know, a group of friends that was – uh, most of us went to the same high school. So I'd say at least eight of the players were, uh, from Northside high school. And we all played on that team together to try to keep us playing together. Uh, good experience overall, got to see kind of some of the challenges of select ball, uh, definitely some high quality players, uh, out there. So it was a little bit different, especially when it came to tactics and stuff. Um, but again, you know, it was, you know, I, I would say it was more recreational. I, I can't say I can remember a time where the coach actually said, you know, we're playing in this formation um, and we're going to play in a high press. No, it was more of us just kind of put us on the field and, and let us play. Um, you know, we practiced twice a week. Uh, so, like I said, didn't take much away from that. Um, come from a, a soccer family for sure. Um, so my wife played collegiately, uh, on a scholarship. She also went to Northside high school. Um, my brother-in-law's, uh, one of them played collegiately. The other one played for, um, he went professional for FC Dallas. Uh, he signed when he was U18, uh, his name's Jonathan top. Uh, so we kind of watched him growing up, uh, and watched him kind of go through the whole soccer deal. Um, my sister-in-law, uh, she also played collegiately on scholarship. So uh, we're a big time soccer family. Uh, we love the sport, have a big passion for it. Um, I probably pay, played late into my 20s, um, either co-ed or indoor, um, 7v7. Um, and then after probably, probably been four or five years ago since, since I put the boots on, uh, competitively, my knees and stuff started hurting, and it was just a little much for me the next day. Um, so then, uh, as far as moving on to you know the coaching side, uh, I coach recreational uh, mostly for my own kids. That's kind of what got me into it. Uh, I have a son; he plays on my U seventeen team. Um. So when he was a kid, it was part of the reason that I started coaching even at the recreational level. Uh, I had a, a rec team prior to that, uh, going all the way back to 2008. I had a team called Dynasty FC. It was a group of girls from Northside High School that were looking for somewhere to play outside of the school. So we started a recreational team with, which, with them. Um, 
and were with them for about four years. So I coached them throughout their high school. And surprisingly, uh, about four or five of those girls uh, went on scholarship to play collegiately, um, which is great. Like that's not that wasn't our intention, but that, that's how it worked out. So um, that was a good experience. And then after that is really when I started coaching my son. He started turning about five or six years old. So at the recreational level, just on small leagues here in Fort Worth, uh, I coached those kids. Uh, that started probably around 2013 and continued um, on through recreational. Um, and then in 2017 uh, is when we kind of moved, when we're introduced to introduced to North Texas soccer and it's and the competitive football that's that's and I call it football uh so if I jump from football and soccer it's kind of for me it's more football but uh uh 2013 is when we kind of were introduced to were asked by uh, an old friend that we went to school with bring our son to a tryout um at the time uh I think there were U9 so we entered into the Classic League qualifying tournament, and uh, my son was on that team. And uh, at that time, I was acting as an assistant coach, and we were able to make the league and got ourselves in, qualified. And then I stayed as assistant coach for that team uh, uh, for about two years. And then I really asked to take the team over. Um, because I saw some inconsistencies with the head coach. So I asked to take the team over because I felt like I could do a good job with them. And uh, that was in probably 2019 when I took the team over as the head coach. And I've now been coaching them uh, since then. So it's been, you know, a roller coaster of emotions, experiences. Uh, now we travel across the nation. Um, I've been to Europe uh, with a lot of the same players. So it's, I've learned so much about the game and it, it's just been a, a, a big eye opener to how much the game has evolved and how much, you know, I didn't know from when I was a teenager to now, it's just incredible, you know, how deep the game goes. Um, so I've kind of fallen in love with the the competitive side of it, the educational side of it. Um, and the rewarding part is obviously, you know, I love training. You know, I, want, I, I say that I'm a teacher because ultimately I am a teacher. And we're not just teaching football, right? We're teaching life skills. We're teaching them to be good young men. Um, good young women as well, because I do coach women as well. So, uh, you know, it's just overall, it's just it's been such a a place where you, you can put your passion into it. Um, and the rewarding part is when you find success with it is, you know, developing these players and kind of seeing the end result, uh, which the boys are now U17s. So I'm kind of getting to the point to where I can see some of the players as, you know, what we've been working on all these years, you can kind of start to see some of the results of that. Um, so scouts are now approaching me, uh, both with criticisms and, and things that are, you know, very positive. So 
um, that's exciting, right? I, I'm starting to see, you know, a small light at the end of the tunnel for the group of players that I've had for the last five or six years. Um, thankfully, I've been blessed with being able to retain a lot of the same players. So, you know, my core group, uh, I'd say I've, set, I've retained 70% of the players since they were nine years old, 10 years old. Um, so I have about a 70 to 80% retention. Um, I think this year I brought on four new players only. Um, so my roster hardly ever turns over. Uh, so that that's that has its positives and it has its negatives too because um, the boys can get a little bit comfortable. But, um, you know, we're constantly working to try to keep them stimulated and keep them learning and keep them in a competitive environment so that uh, they don't get too comfortable. Um making sure the kids that we do bring in are competitive and that uh, we'll challenge them for playing time and challenge them for the position for their positions. Um, so all that's like super important, right? To the formulas, making sure you keep a competitive environment. Um, but, but yeah, that's a little bit of background and I probably jumped ahead a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, okay, but yeah, that's just a little bit about me. Yeah. How much of Rayo's history have you been there since the beginning, or, or have you, um, came on after a start? I have no clue how old Rayo's is. So if you can go, yeah, a little bit, if you so, can share some of the history, that'd be awesome. So what is the history of Rayo's soccer? Concept? So the history, the um, I don't know the in depth history, but I'll give you what I know. Right. So Rayo Rayo's FC, some of the core teams that were started back in the day, basically teams that transitioned from recreational over to competitive football, um, was back in 2000, roughly 2002, 2003, 2004, um, were when some of the original teams were kind of established. Uh, obviously, those teams have, have aged out at this point. Um, and I'm sorry, I don't, I don't mean the club started back then. I mean the original age groups of the club were, you know, 02, 03, 04, um, which I think those guys just uh, aged out, you know, a few years ago, say three years ago, um, because a lot of them are, are actually playing at Texas Wesleyan now. Uh, I think five of them from the original 2004 group uh, originally went to Texas Wesleyan. I think four of them are still there. Um, so that was kind of the original group. Uh, and then after that, you know, followed, another handful of teams. Um, so the club is relatively young uh, and small and very centered around Fort Worth. Uh, there's about 20 teams total. Um, there's uh, one team that recently joined this year. Uh, they're from Dallas, they're a 2013 team. Um, but that's a, that's about it. Like I said, we're, we're pretty centered around Fort Worth, small club, about 20 teams. Uh, I joined with the club about five or six years ago, six years ago as the assistant. And then uh, as a head coach, I started uh, five years ago. So, uh, like I said, new club, smaller, um, Fort Worth based. And we really try to stay centered around Fort Worth based. Um, so um, trying to attract as many teams and, and, uh, players from the Fort Worth area so that they don't have to go to Dallas uh, to play competitive football. That's kind of one of the, the, the ideals of the club is to 
try to make sure that there's competitive football in Fort Worth so that players don't have to go to Dallas um, is definitely one of our, our big ideas that we have. Um, I know Geo kind of shares that idea. Um, so, yeah, that's just a little bit about the club. Awesome. So where are you guys based out of? Uh, we're based out of Fort Worth, Texas. Um, so we have several contracts with with uh, fields here in in Fort Worth uh, uh, with Fort Worth ISD. So we have two schools where we train. Um, they're both turf fields, um, which helps obviously because when it rains and stuff, we we still have a place to train. Um, we also use utilize Castleberry ISD, which is in the River Oaks area in Fort Worth. Um, and then uh, Dunbar High School, and we got a couple of other fields uh, that that we contract out, and we also have a partnership with Texas Westland, um, which we utilize our field for training as well. Awesome! I didn't know you guys were out. You guys are kind of spread out here in the Fort Worth area. I mean, yes, yeah, for sure. So, uh, just like our players are spread out throughout the area, um, our fields will be spread out throughout the area. Um, so it doesn't always, it's not always convenient for a guy that lives on the South side to drive to North side for training. Um, but it's better than having to drive to Dallas, you know, that's yes. the perception or better than having to drive to Frisco. Um, so that's kind of the perception is that, you know, yes, it might be on the other side of town, but, but that's okay. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of adapt to the situation and we may kind of switch. So I may be practicing at Dunbar for three months and then end up over here at Gateway. Uh, which is City Fields, um, City of Fort Worth Fields. I may be there for three months and then transition to Castleberry for three months. Um, so some of that stuff's based on uh, school sporting events, football, stuff like that, uh, where we have to kind of move around a little bit. Um, but we make it work. We make it work through our partnerships in the community and and we try to stay as consistent as possible. But uh, we understand that the schools and stuff have their events. So. We get that too. So do you guys have what age groups then with going to all your facilities? Uh, we have as we, uh, Rayos FC has as young age groups as 2018. Okay. So 2018 boys and girls. I mean, and those are little ones. I mean, they're five years old, four years old. Um, they're little bitty. Uh, yes. And then the oldest age group is 06. 06 boys and we also have an 06 girls um so those are our i guess senior players uh that are are u18 and uh so we we're kind of spread out through there um we have uh basically uh for sure we're, we're stronger on the boys side so we have we'll have a boys team in every age group going all the way up from 2018 um on the girls side we only have a few teams um, which we're trying to build up that that girl side uh, for the coming year. Um, but it's going to take a little bit more coaching support uh, to ensure that we're, you know, making sure that we're coaching with quality and not stretching ourselves thin. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, we're trying to build up that girl side for sure for the next coming years. That is awesome. Um, just because knowing how hard it is to actually build a club building building a team let alone being a smaller club in in this picture 
mm-hmm. and having to have players come out and try out and have them come and work with you guys it's very hard i can't imagine the struggle mm-hmm. you guys go through so do you guys go through the conventional routes of word of mouth for recruiting or do you guys post on social media do you use yeah yeah it's so- like team player or what do you guys do to uh for recruiting purposes so families can find find out where you guys are at yeah so as far as recruitment i think we use we try to utilize all of the above right um recruitment is an important piece to be able to uh not only maintain competitive rosters but uh also grow uh new competitive teams so um recruitment is super important right uh, so we want to make sure that we have a strong voice and a strong influence in the Fort Worth area to attract the talent that's here. Um, not only in the Fort Worth area, but in the surrounding areas. So definitely Mansfield, Cleburne, Weatherford, Alito, um, Keller, uh, North Richland Hills, all the surrounding towns, the Alliance area, Roanoke. We want to make sure that we're touching those areas and that those areas know that that we're here and uh, we think we offer a good product as far as, um, you know, coaching football and playing at a competitive level. Uh, we want to make sure that we know that they know we're here. So as far as recruitment, we try to offer all of the above. Right. So we do run ads on social media platforms. A lot of our teams. Um have social media platforms so instagram facebook um and then uh we also uh utilize word of mouth absolutely so uh, obviously in the leagues that we're competing in uh participating in um when they see us playing out there uh you know that helps uh if we're playing good football then it could attract uh players to come and try out for us the following season um so, you know, that's important. So we always we always want to make sure we're rep- representing ourselves well um, and in a professional manner. And then, uh, uh, yeah, so we also have a website, you know, it's rayossoccer.com. And uh, that also is another place where they can go look us up. They can actually find coaches' information there, phone numbers. If they got questions, they can call. If they got questions about club fees, they can call and Directly and speak directly to a coach. Uh, we try to be as transparent as possible about that. We don't want people to jump on our website and then have to send an email somewhere. We just want you to be able to pick up a phone, uh, make a simple phone call, even shoot a text message over uh, and try to be as transparent as possible and as direct as possible um, so that it's easy access to the coaches and the managers, uh, our administrators' phone numbers, club administrators' phone numbers are on the website as well, um, so they can reach us through there. Uh, if somebody sends us a message through our social media platforms, we try to answer as quickly as possible. Um, so yeah, well, we try to utilize all systems, right? Um, because recruitment is important, and we want to make sure that our presence is is uh, available and it's transparent in the Fort Worth area. I will have to say you guys are very responsive on Facebook because I literally reached out and within minutes of me reaching out, uh, Gabriel was pinging me back pretty quickly. I was very, very impressed with that. It's not that often you get that fast of a response. Yeah. I will say that 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I will say that our uh, not every age group has a social media platform built um, because it takes a lot of work to manage the social media platforms. Um, but there are several teams that do have it. Um, so we try to utilize that to to give people a picture of 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 what you know we can offer the players. Um, we try to build a certain level ex of exposure for the players not only through statistics, but also through, you know, actual short clips and stuff like that. So um, I think that's kind of the future. Um, some people may think that, uh, to us, we know we're trying to build exposure at all levels. So uh, the future and, and kind of modern times requ requires us to have a social media presence. So um, we try to make sure we utilize that. That's awesome. That's that's the hard thing. I think. I think a lot of uh, clubs don't utilize social media. When you jump on your website, it has to be clear and present. Mm. Excuse me. It has mm. to be clear and present, and I don't think people realize that that is the first interaction most parents have with the club. Right. Yeah. Um. And as I do my research, it's always fun jumping on different uh clubs facebook facebook pages sure. or websites and i can i can honestly say there's not that many that are decent anymore um, right. most of them are trying to play catch up and i don't know how your club does it yours is pretty good and i don't know if it's a volunteer parent or you guys hire it out but whoever's doing it is doing a good job because it allows the the transition of finding information very simply sure. either on a desk on a computer computer or on a smart device of some sort right and that's that's the thing i think most clubs forget is that 90 percent of parents aren't using a computer to uh pull information or look information up yeah. it is yeah. all done on their phone yeah you're 100 percent right and and i'm going to say the first place that that parents jump on their search bar is going to be on facebook probably um so we try to make sure that all that stuff is as, as as up to date as possible, um, and like I said, that that we respond promptly and try to get people's questions answered. Um, we've been working on the website, so we do have somebody that's come on board um, that's been um, working on our website and trying to, you know, make it more modern and give us uh, give us a good, you know, look when it comes to the website. Um, so she is a volunteer. So since we're a small club, we have, you know, a very small budget, almost nothing. Um, we're still registered as a nonprofit. So uh, a lot of what we do is volunteer work. Um, so we've been blessed with somebody that's coming in and really helping transform that website. Um, obviously, they have to do it during their free time. Um, so it's a little bit of a work in progress, but uh, we're trying to make sure that we're you know, putting on a good presentation so that we can be competitive and and uh, with the Solars and all the big clubs out there and, and try to put our best foot forward, even though, like I said, we're a small nonprofit. So, um, but we still want to make a good presentation, right? And make sure that we're, we're presenting ourselves well. Uh, that's the thing. I don't think people realize how many um, clubs are actually nonprofits. I think I can only name one club I can name off off the top of my head that's a for-profit club in the metroplex and it really blows my mind when i talk to um 
Richard Smith with Triumph. Uh, it's right. the whole point of having the nonprofit is because you aren't responsible for anything at the end of the day. Like if you are a bit LLC, you have you have to. It's so much more complex to run a soccer right. club, and you have to because you guys don't own anything. You guys rent facilities. Right. You rent fields. Right. So I get the the mentality behind it makes it a lot easier for most clubs to um, do the things they need to do that are more important. Right. Uh, right. Now, how many, if with about 20 teams, how many coaches do you guys have? Uh, I think roughly at any given time, we have about 10 coaches. Um, so some of them are, especially at the academy age, uh, you know, they can carry up to three teams. Um but the majority of the coaches uh, have one or two teams. Um, myself, I only have the one team, and I think it's – I could have taken on a second team, but uh, when I got our schedule for this season, I realized that I was going to be out of town like every two months. Um, so I think I would be doing a, di a disjustice to that second team that I would have taken on um, just because of I would be absent you know, for a week at a time, every two months. And I don't think that's right because I wouldn't be giving that second team the proper attention that they need to develop and to try to keep them competitive. So um, at the at the moment, I'm only managing the one team. Uh, the majority of us that, that have the more competitive teams um, only have the one. Um but there are coaches that have, like I said, academy. We could have two academy teams and then one competitive team. Um, so, yeah, if by any time, if by any means we feel we're stretching ourselves thin, um, I would say as a coaching staff, we're, we try to keep a very open door policy. So we're constantly reaching out to each other and talking to each other and uh, trying to stay in the loop with each other and making sure that we have coverage for everybody. So, we're definitely uh, uh, want to be a coaching staff that if somebody's sick or can't make it to a training session, that they don't cancel that training session, uh, that they call one of us to cover their training sessions um, so that the kids continue to have a, uh, a place to work and to try to develop. And uh, just because the coach is out doesn't mean that somebody else can't cover for them and provide a good training environment. Um so we want to make sure that that's available to the players. Um, and plus it, you know, puts another voice out there. So it gives the the team an opportunity to hear somebody else's coaching style and to learn um, kind of a, a different methodology maybe. Um, so, uh, yeah, we kind of use those practices, right? Uh, don't cancel the practice. Just have somebody else cover. Now with having the turf fields, you guys are pretty lucky then to not have to cancel as many practices if you're able to shuffle play the teams around enough to use them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Having turf is, man, it helps a ton because as you know, recently within the last couple of weeks, we, got a, we had quite a bit of rain. So, uh, you know, if it's, if it's a, a grass field, it's probably going to be closed for a while, but because we have turf fields available to us, uh, it kind of allows us to keep running. Um, and we think that's important to the players because if they're playing on the weekend, they should be training. So, I agree. So with with the end of the seasons coming, and by mm -hmm. the time this is released, it'll be 
beginning to pick up tournament season and what time frame that frame is do you guys if you guys don't have games on weekend do you guys pick up extra practices or do you guys give players a chance to take a break what is your cycle like as teams because it goes it goes into the the view of your philosophy as a club um it's about the, it's about the beautiful love of the game it's about the football 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 and how do you guys manage your guys's philosophy within the club you said earlier that you were always talking to make sure practices aren't canceled we're helping each other you guys come up with a yearly game plan of philosophy for every age group that you're working with or i know most clubs and coaches will go it's based on the team yeah but there's a philosophy of play and do you guys carry a philosophy of play or do you guys just as I like to call it, wing it with your team. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think I'd agree kind of with the general statement. You have to kind of assess the team. Um, I think some a difficult, something that would be difficult to do, and, and you'll find this when you're building a, a fresh team, um, if you're taking players on uh, that are coming from recreational or you're building a team of where the majority of the players are new to select competitive football, it's going to be difficult to get the parents to commit uh, to a lot of events outside of league play uh, for several reasons, the cost and the time commitment, right? So it's difficult to get parents to commit uh, when it's a brand new team and they're barely breaking into select soccer. Uh, it's difficult to get them to commit. So with the new fresher team that's getting their feet wet, uh, you definitely want to take a little bit softer approach and say, uh, okay, we're playing two tournaments this year, uh, one tournament during the Thanksgiving um, time, and then another tournament maybe during the summer. And then uh, we're going to focus on league play and try to make sure that we're, you know, having quality performances. Um, and try to get those parents and players broken into the whole atmosphere because it can be a culture shock. Um, if you're taking a fresh team that's coming over from recreational and tell them, well, y'all got to play five tournaments this year, um, you know, it's going to, it could really turn off parents and players. Um, so we try to ease them into it. Uh, and on the, the other hand, if you have a tenure team that's been doing this for a long time, uh, my team, we'll just use my team as an example. Um, the schedule's laid out very early. So right after contract signing, we kind of lay out the expectations. We say, this is the plan for the year. Obviously, there's going to be adjustments. There's always adjustments. And players that are usually tenured like this and that are accustomed to playing select football uh, can you are usually very easy to adapt and that kind of that applies to the parents as well. Um, so with that, we try to lay out a financial schedule, right? We say, okay, well, uh, my team, for an example, the first week in December, we'll be traveling to Orlando, Florida for nationals, for National League Pro. Um, everybody's known about that since they signed their contracts. Um, so, you know, financially, they're more, they're more than prepared. Flights and stuff are booked. Uh, everything's done. Itinerary's done. So uh, now it's just the time now for the next month, because November is here, I'm preparing the team for what's going to happen in December. 
So even though many teams are coming to a close in their active league play, that doesn't mean that I stopped preparing the team. My preparation started November 1st. So my training sessions, the training plan, the the, the games that we have left through our Frontier Conference, um, tournament play, scrimmages will all be set to try to prepare my team uh, to take their trip to Orlando, Florida. Because if I didn't prepare my team, uh, then that's on me, right? right? That's the coach's responsibility to prepare the team to go and play uh, at a national level uh, in Orlando. Um, if I don't properly prepare them, then what's the point? Uh, what's the point of us traveling to Orlando, Florida, uh, my parents absorbing all that expense uh, if we're not going to be competitive out there? So if in Thanksgiving I decide to give them two weeks off, what's the point? What's the point of taking two weeks off and then flying to Orlando? That makes absolutely no sense to me. So as a coach, it's our responsibility to prepare the player. So we need to make sure we're we're doing that right. And part of that is the parents' commitment and the players' commitment to train, to play, and to prepare to take these trips. Uh, so when we present ourselves at a national level, you know, we have a good presentation. Of course, our, my boys are U17 now, so I have a lot of juniors. I don't. I have one senior, but I have a lot of juniors. So if scouts are going to be present, they have to put on a good performance because uh, there is going to be football af after they leave me. If they want, you know, football will be uh, something that's available to them at the collegiate level. Um, so, you know, they have to put on a good show. Uh, otherwise, what's the point of traveling? So, um, so yeah, so league play may come to a stop. Um, but for many of us, tournaments are coming. Uh, you know, the Dallas Texans Fall Festival is coming up. That's a, a Dallas Cup qualifier. So there'll be a lot of competitive teams there. Um, so many teams are preparing for that tournament. Um, so uh, the preparation just basically stops for one thing and moves on to the next. So, uh, again, but, you know, it, it, it really is based on the team. So many teams may be looking at taking a break during this time, and, and we get that. So it just everybody's itinerary, everybody's schedule is just a little bit different. So it has to be adaptive to the team. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it definitely varies. Yeah, it goes back to the only thing you can depend on is change and change itself. So sure. it, it really depends. Like you said, it goes back to the team and team dynamics and what you guys sure. are end goal to be. Sure. I didn't even realize you have the national the national games coming up yes, right sir. next to Thanksgiving. And as a family, that would be hard because a lot of families travel, but um, then they get Christmas off. Do they get Christmas time frame off for a week or do you guys still grind it out because so so you're right uh, i mean there's the best way to say it is be adaptive right so it's based on the performance of the team um if they can get christmas off if if there's not actually if if uh if we play well and i believe if we place in the top three um in the national tournament that we're going to in orlando then that qualifies us to go to cali um and cali will be national league pro um, and all the best teams uh, will meet up in Cali, and I believe that's in Christmas. So exactly four weeks 
um, exactly four weeks from December 1st, uh, we'll have to fly back out to Cali for National League Pro. Um, so, you know, the parents have to be adaptive and understand that if their players performing, that uh, they're, they're earning the right to be able to play in these showcases, in these tournaments. Um, so because they've earned it, you know, we have to pre present them the opportunity to compete. Right. Um, and that's ultimately what it comes down to. Um, the player earned the opportunity to earn, to, to be able to compete at this level. So let's let them put the show on. Um, I like it. I like that. Yeah. So otherwise, what's the point? You know, why are we doing this? If they're not earning, if they're earning the right to compete at this level, then we should let them compete. So, right. so if we perform well in Orlando, then that means as soon as we come back, the preparation will start for California. So football doesn't stop. It just continues. Um, and every team will be different. You know, some teams, especially at the U, U17, U18, even U16 level, um, a lot of teams will change their focus after Thanksgiving because high school starts. So high school uh, two-a-days start um, and uh, scrimmages and stuff start for high school. So the gear kind of switches and everybody's like, oh, well, now high school is a priority. Um, but it depends on the team. You know, for me, high school is is uh, not necessarily on the top of the list. So my training sessions will have to continue have to continue because high school football is a little bit different from select football. So uh, the training with me will continue. The expectations with me, with me will continue um, and they'll have to play a certain way uh, so that that way, you know, if we do qualify for National League Pro in, in Cali, then, then they'll be ready um, because the expectations in high school are different. So um, yes, we have to maintain a certain level um, or, or I'm not properly preparing my team. Right. So ultimately that's what it comes down to. Now with you having your team, are a majority of the coaches on the same page of this type of philosophy, then it's preparing for the next, the next game or the next tournament and adapt to whatever's coming your pathway or whatever is needed to move to the next level for your players then. Or does, do each coach take it team by team? Like you said earlier, you talked about uh, families that are coming directly from rec into club. It can be overwhelming. Um, Absolutely. I, mean, uh, I, can't, I can't imagine a, a rec player coming into my team. It would, I mean, I don't know what would happen, to be honest with you. but uh, Or even, a, even you know, a, a Division three or, or a lower level, uh, uh, I guess, select player coming to my team would be It'd be pretty shocking, I think, um, just because of how much uh, emphasis is emphasis is put on what we do, um, right? And how important it is to me, and how important it is to the players. Um, so I think it would be a, a pretty big culture shock. But but to answer your question, I I think uh, yeah, as far as that philosophy, um, I think we have a handful of teams that, that compete at a high level. And for those teams, the philosophy can be pretty consistent across the board. Um, I think for teams that uh, are not competing at, at you know, in, in those at that high level, uh, I think it's a little bit more adaptive. You know, what are your what are your parents asking for? Um, what are your uh, what's what's the right decision for, as far as for the players? Um, do they need a break? Uh, 
you know, are, are, are 10 of your 15 players out of town? Um, you know, I think you have to ask those questions. Um, so uh, for us, it's a little bit different approach. And like I said, probably for a handful of teams within the club, uh, they'll follow that same philosophy. But I think for the rest, it's uh, okay. You know, we can kind of scale it back uh, during this time, during the holiday season, and then just pick it back up uh, going back into the new year. So I know we have some U13 teams that are preparing to go to Houston for some of the some of the tournaments down there over the break. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, everybody kind of has their schedule. And, and like I said, it, it really does uh, kind of change from, from team to team. I mean, I, I, that makes perfect sense. So do you guys um, play in all the made, most of the Metroplex leagues or do you guys play in some national leagues? What do you got? What leagues are you guys in? to um, club the international wise, level i mean there's quite a few there's quite a few leagues yeah 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 so uh team wise or club wise club wise okay so club wise rios uh, fc definitely participates in the majority of the local you know local being dallas fort worth um dfw leagues so tcl rpl npl um classic league obviously um, because we're a smaller club, we don't qualify for the club centric leagues, right? Which, which gets into some of the politics, right? So your ECNL, ECNL, RL, your North Texas, uh, club centrically, we don't qualify for those. We don't have enough teams. Um, so we, we participate in all the rest, right? So, uh, RPL, MPL, uh, TCSL, Classic. Um, any competitive league that we can try to get into, uh, we try to have our, our foot in it um, to try to make sure we're we're uh, putting the brand out there and, and have at least one competitive team in that league. Um, so, yeah, for sure, we we definitely try to participate. Arlington Premier, I think we do have one team out there. Um, so, yeah, the only team I think, the only place I don't think we have a team is uh, Plano Premier. Um, so that I, I don't think we have a team out there, um, but all the rest, we definitely have our foot in, um, as far as tournaments, you know, for the competitive teams, I would say we specifically target tournaments where we can compete against ECNL teams, um, which, which would include some showcases, uh, man, if we could compete against some MLS next teams, we probably would, um, but typically those those teams will stick to their own tournaments. Um, and I understand, you know, I get why they do that. Uh, but we do try to compete in tournaments where we can be exposed and compete against some of these other, uh, some of these other leagues that we're, we don't qualify for uh, from a club standpoint. Now there is a few other clubs that are, I wouldn't call them below ECNL. They're more open to allowing, uh, any any smaller club into them on the national level where they have league play. I know that Villarreal belongs to one. I, I'm drawing a blank. I was looking through my notes trying to find it. Um, what league he, they belong to? Um, but do you guys belong to any national leagues, yeah, or do yeah, you guys so, just attack the uh, local leagues so, and big national tournaments? Yeah. So whenever, whenever, um, so some of the 
structure behind Classic League, right? If if you if you win Classic League or if you uh, if you place top two, that qualifies you for um, National League. And our conference is Frontier Conference, so you hear you'll hear Frontier Conference. Um, so yeah, we've been participating in that for the last two years, and that requires us to play against the teams from Oklahoma and Kansas, uh, and then. So regionally, uh, it stretches up that way. And then we also play against the teams from down south, which would be Houston, uh, Austin. So we'll we'll travel down to Round Rock to compete against those teams. And then Oklahoma will come down south and compete against us. Uh, and then we'll have to travel to them. Um, so those basically will we'll travel um, and play games Saturday, Sunday, and then come back home. So that's kind of how the Frontier Conference works. If you place top two inside of the Frontier Conference, well, then that qualifies you to go to National League, which is how we ended up in Orlando. So you have we won Frontier Conference, so now that qualifies us for National League, which um, allows us to go to Frontier, I mean, uh, to Orlando to compete against the other teams that have won their conferences. Um, and that's how you end up at the national level. So. Um, kind of like Gio said, it's it's uh, opportunities that are earned and not given. Right. Uh, you can't sign up for these leagues anywhere. You have to qualify for them. Um, so it's it's different from ECNL and ECNLRL. Um, you can't just sign up, uh, and you have to win and qualify to earn your spot into them. And if you don't perform well, well then. Uh, you're demoted, you're kicked out of the league, right? And you have to start over. Um, so I personally think that structure is important, um, but uh, but that's a, you know, different subject, so. Yes, we can get on that another time. Yeah. <laughs> with yeah. that being said, I'm just thinking with the latest trend with Classic League, I'm not trying to knock mm -hmm. it or anything, but. Absolutely. Um, I know they're struggling getting teams. I know that they just let in a bunch of teams listening to a few coaches recently that mm -hmm. they couldn't get enough teams to get their league going. So they reached out or clubs applied to play. Do you think that waters down the valid, how valid classic league is, or do you think that they're just trying to make it more competitive by asking these clubs to come in? I I'm standing on the outside. I'm just asking because it was something I heard recently and I don't know enough about it. It was just overhearing a conversation. So I could be completely wrong on what I heard, but yeah, 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 for sure. Um, um, I think that the, I think when the, the other leagues come, did come in, um, obviously there was, you know, I wouldn't say it was a mass exodus, but there was several of the larger clubs that, uh, that left the Classic League uh, platform and went on to ECNL and, and other platforms. Um, and I will say that some of the talent and more competitive teams did leave leave with that, uh, with that said. Um, but I think based on the structure, and I'm speaking, and mind you, I'm speaking more on the boy side, right? Right. Uh, Gio did speak on the girl side because his team is, is girls. Um, but I'm speaking more on the boys' side. I will say um, that 
the boys side has been able to maintain a level of competitiveness even with it with the smaller club uh smaller clubs playing a big factor there because obviously we're not the only ones that don't qualify for ecnl because we're not big enough from a club centric standpoint so there's other clubs that are just like us that also play competitive football that don't qualify for ecnl because they're not, not big enough from a club centric standpoint um so as a result, you know, we have to kind of stick to the classic leagues um, and we're able to maintain a certain level of competitiveness. Um, but yeah, do, do I think that uh, a lot of talent moved from one league to another? Yeah. Um, but what I saw this past year, uh, including myself, was these ECNL players and teams are coming back into classic league. Now, I can't say that the same thing is trending on the girls' side, but I could say it for the boys' side. So, and the reason that the, and obviously you talk to the parents, right? When these players come try out for your team, you're like, well, what's going on with ECNL and why are you deciding to come over here? Um, and kind of their, what they've expressed is that there's inconsistencies in the level of talent in ECNL because everybody qualifies for ECNL. If your club's if your club centric and your club is big enough, but even though the teams aren't of quality, you still get a spot in East TNL. So as a result, you know there's a big separation between between the quality of play and quality of teams in an age group. So we'll use U16 for an example. Maybe the top five teams are of high quality and belong there, but maybe the bottom twelve teams are not of quality and don't belong. Now, there's no way to filter that because there's no promotion and relegation. Right. So let's say let's say there's a team, the bottom five teams lo lose every single match, you know, and they get scored 60 goals against and they score two goals for. It's irrelevant. If the team pays, they'll end up back in the same league, whether that's ECNL or ECNL RL or whatever. So there's no filtration of, of, of quality. You know, the team will remain in that bracket because they paid their way into the bracket. Right. So there's there's no there's no promotion relegation. So um, where in Classic League, there is promotion and relegation. So there's a higher level of consistency within the divisions. So D1 will have a more consistent pool of talent, more consistent pool of, uh, of play, than uh, uh than your ECNL RL or your ECNL um your ECNL National League. Uh it's just that's just the way it is. Like and it's it's due to the lack of promotion and relegation, right? There's no way to filter these teams. If the club can buy themselves into the league, then then they will. Um and if they have a team that maybe doesn't belong there, they'll put them in there anyway. And ECNL is going to put them in there anyway. Um, because ultimately, you know, they got to fill the spot. So right. it, it's cool. I, I, I get that. But uh, as far as consistencies, you know, that's that's what I see. Um, the parents have also voiced that, um, like I said, some of the teams are great. Some of the teams are not. So and then uh, the separation between games is big. The gap between matches. So they also they go they'll go two weeks without playing. Um, and then they'll play at a high school, uh, maybe play a couple matches at a high school. 
Um, and then they'll go another two weeks without playing. So it's very inconsistent. Uh, you'll see matches in the middle of the day. So three o'clock at 105 degrees. Um, so it's, uh, at, and not only that, it in the regional league. So in, in RL, they'll travel. Um, they'll be, they'll be required to travel a little bit more. And when they travel, um, they're traveling to beat a team, you know, eight to zero um, and play at three 30 in the middle of the day or at four o'clock in the middle of the day on a Saturday. And it's 105 and they're on the turf. So add 10 uh, degrees to that. Yeah. Right. So these, these players and parents are, are filtering back into classic league because it's consistent. It's at one place or two places, right? Money grammar, Richland college. Um, it's consistent. The game schedule is set in stone. Uh, the refereeing is consistent. Where I've heard at uh, ECNO North Texas that I've heard parents actually ref those games, and they count them. So uh, inconsistencies there, right? Just trying to make the game happen. Um, where in Classic League, there's uh, it's just a little bit more consistent platform. And Classic League is probably as old as dirt, right? It's been around since the beginning of time. Yeah, <laughs> but but they built a, a consistent platform, right? And I and I think classically is trying to be a little bit more open minded and be more adaptive. Um, they're starting to have a social media presence now. Um, obviously they're very green into that. Um, but they're trying to get with the times a little bit. So, uh, they're starting to open up and trying to hear these ideas out, and hopefully that helps. Uh, bring some of these uh, high-level teams back into the league to to make it even more competitive. Um, and I think we'll see that happening as the years go on and the seasons go on. Uh, you'll see more and more teams coming back and filtering back into something that's more consistent um, and something that's local uh, and, and eliminates the additional cost of having to travel and get a hotel room um, every couple of weeks. So. Uh, so yeah, that that's kind of what I see from from my point, um, and what I've heard from some of the parents and the players, um, as far as you know, different types of league and and how classic league's doing. So you, that's 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 interesting about the leagues. I mean, leagues are critical for these players' development because it gives them a chance to go play locally and not have to cram five six games into a weekend. Right. Now as you guys are progressing, your kids are juniors and seniors right now. Do you guys have a college pathway program or a pathway to a pro team? Do you guys have a pathway to help them get to the next level? Or is it a, a, I don't know how to describe it more of a, these are the coaches we know, these are the avenues we can help you with, or do you guys have something set in place? Right. So we did create, um, and I can use an I statement on this. So I did create a, a college pathway program for the club, um, which I launched at the beginning of this year, uh, especially considering that my players are aging up, right, to use 17 now. So uh, the, the, I designed this program for the player, and it's driven by the player. So... Um, I was blessed and lucky to find uh, the right person to kind of drive this program. So we do have a college pathways uh, counselor um, 
So the idea behind the program would be they have to apply and earn their way into the program. So we don't just accept anyone because um, you'll find that you have talent. You'll have players with extreme levels of talent, right, that are probably going to be looked at. Um, but we're not looking for just the talented player. We want the well-rounded player. Um so we're trying to create an environment where, where we're rewarding the player that's putting their best foot forward in, in every part of their life and in the game. So the player has to have at least a 3.0 GPA to even qualify to get into the program. So at, with, with that said, we want to make sure they're putting their best, best foot forward in the classroom in their grades, in their education, um, and also on the football pitch. So it's it's got to be both sides. So there's some there's some qualifying there's some uh, qualifications that they have to have in order to even qualify for the program. They'll apply for the program and then they'll start working with this guidance counselor. I, as well as as this guidance counselor, have built a pool of college coaches. Uh, that are willing and ready to view highlight films and talk to these players. Um, so we built a place where we can provide guidance and provide an avenue for them to start to go down. Now, the ideal situation for us would be if the player already has um, a handful of, of schools that they're interested in attending, um, then we can try to tailor them and set them up for success and push them down that pathway to try to get in front of those specific coaches um, by using highlight reels, phone calls, text messages, emails, because the reality of it is um, these colleges are receiving thousands of calls um, in interested players that want to go to their division one school and get a shot on that roster. So what are we doing to differentiate ourselves, to put our players on a different pedestal so that they can have a step above the, the rest of these players, right? So that's kind of what we're working on. And it's an ongoing project. And that pool of colleges is ongoing and it's growing um, because I'm making phone calls and building relationships and building our network to try to make sure that we have places to expose these players and push these resumes towards. Um, I've been lucky that some of these coaches that I talked to are like, hey man, um, you, you know, if the player's not a good fit for them, I have other coaches, you know, at the JUCO level, at the NAIA level that that might be interested in these guys, send them my way and I'll push their information over. Um, so it's building that network, right? Having those conversations with these coaches, what, what are they looking for? Um, what do they want? Um, and then trying to push over and connect the right player to the right coach. Um, on the other hand of it, uh, we have to be very conscious on where we're sending our players. Because if I've coached my team with a certain methodology and we were playing possession football since the moment that they're 10, and then I send them to a coach where everything is long, you know, and my player gets there and he's like, coach, what do they do? What do they do? Right. You know who the coach is telling me? Just get it and send it. You know, that that's probably a recipe uh, for failure, right? So I have to be very conscious of where I'm sending these players 
that it's the right fit. Um, so that's another big piece of the formula is, are we setting them up for success or are we setting them up for failure? Um, so uh, we want the player to drive this program so they'll have homework assignments, they'll have expectations, they'll have phone calls they have to make, they'll have emails they have to send. We are not their recruiter. They are their own recruiter and we're putting the ball back in their court and we're really trying to motivate and push the player uh, to, to get himself there. Um, we just act as guidance counselors and make sure that we're teaching them and giving them the right resources to make that happen. Um, so we're not recruiters, uh, we're guidance counselors and we're guiding these players on how to get through that process. Um, and the idea would be that ultimately, you know, all, all else, fa all else fails and, and football one day is over, right? Soccer's done. And they go into the workforce uh, or they go just straight up to college and, and not to play football anymore. Um, but they're good adults. They're good human beings. They're good young men. They're good young men. And, and they're going to be successful with whatever they do, whatever they're doing, because we gave them the right tools. Right. We didn't hold their hand. We push them and we try to make them do stuff on their own, um, which ultimately will make them. Uh, more more successful in the back end, right? Um, right. So we have to think about it full circle. Um, so all of these services are free of charge. Um, they're volunteers. People are spending their time um, to try to make these kids successful. Um, so that's the idea. That's the idea uh, behind the College Pathways program um, is to put the ball in their court and give them the right tools. Um, to try to make them successful and try to get them where they want to be. But they got to have that drive, man. They got to have that drive and they got to take the wheel and they got to want to get there on their own. Because ultimately when I'm gone, when their coach is gone, when their guidance counselor is gone and they step foot on that college campus and they're in front of that college coach, it's a totally different environment, totally different. They'll have to feed themselves. They'll have to be on top of their grades. They'll have to be able to work with their professors to make sure they're making up work. They'll have to put in the extra training for their coaches. They'll have to get in the weight room on their on their own, not with our help, not with their parents' help. They'll have to do it on their own. So what are we doing to try to set them up so that they can have that mindset right now and not once they leave the house? So that's super, it's a super critical piece of what of what we're doing. Um, so I'm trying to build an environment, build a pathway, uh, where we can push those, um, those goals onto them and try to get them to take the reins and, and try to move forward in that direction. Now, do you have a pathway to like pro side or a semi-pro side, or are you just solely focusing on college right now? Uh, right now, we're solely solely focusing on colleges. Um, the president and vice president of the club do have connections in in Mexico with some clubs down there. Uh, we can get trials with Monterrey, um, uh, but that's something that you know the player has to kind of present to us to say, "Hey, you know, I'm interested in taking this avenue." Okay, well, we'll get you the trial, man. We'll send you down there. Um, that is not a problem at all. Um, Ideally, we'd like to build relationships with these pro, uh, with these professional clubs, where we can send them film first, 
and they say, hey, this guy looks interesting. Send him down here. Um, that way the player doesn't assume an unnecessary expense and uh, and and pays two, three thousand dollars to go on that trial. When the reality of it is that the club has no interest, the professional club has no interest in the player. Um, they're just collecting that thousand bucks to have that kid there for the week, and then they send them back home. Um, we want real, we want realistic relationships with players that are at, with clubs that are actually interested in talent. Um, and we're trying to build those relationships um, because ultimately a lot, a lot of this stuff can turn into a money pit if you're not careful. Yes. So, so we want realistic relationships um, where these coaches are actually interested in our players. So sending them film first, having them do a, a, a VO with the player first. Uh, and if they're truly interested, hey, let's – Let's absorb the expense. We'll send the player down. That's that's he, awesome. He can, he can run a trial with the team for a week, two weeks, and then at that point, at that point, the club can make a decision. Um, but we don't want it to be unrealistic, right? We don't want to sell false information to the parent, to the player, um, to prospects that are interested in coming over to Rios. We don't want to sell that type of environment. We want realistic. Um, a realistic environment um, to where it's very transparent and we're not selling false information. Like, yes, the club is actually interested in you. You know, uh, man, the ideal scenario would be, hey, they're willing to pay for your meals. Uh, we'll pay for your flight. Uh, we'll pay for your uh, home and board. Uh, we'll get you there. They'll pay for the rest. They're really interested. So let's send them, right? That that makes more sense to me <laughs> than, you know, giving them a brochure and like, hey, this is here if you want it. You know, we can send them down there. We'll send them to, to Spain and he can have a, a trial down there and spend $5,000 um, and it'll be a great experience. Well, you know, there's a time where you got to draw the line and say, well, cool experiences are kind of out the window now. What's realistic? What's right. realistic? You know, does my kid actually have a chance? Um, and we have to be, you know, I think we take more of that perspective um, because, as you know, the sport can get expensive very quickly. So we got to be careful about how we pick and choose what we're investing in. I, I understand what you're saying. So do you guys see yourself doing what a lot of the clubs here are doing now with UPSL and joining the UPSL leagues? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I would love to build a team that can compete against Geo's team. Um, <laughs> and that can go on record, right? Um, I think we, we're both competitive guys and we like competing against each other. So, um, yeah, that, that's coming real soon. Um, we've, we've spoken to UPSA already, um, and that's definitely in the works. They're basically just waiting on our application. Uh, definitely want to open that up to, to some more senior, open, tenured players, right? Uh, that are in their early 20s and, and experience with the game. But the idea for me would definitely be to bring up as many players from uh, the club and put them into that team um, to try to get them the experience uh, where they're playing against grown men, you know, well into their 20s. Um, that would be the perfect scenario for us. 
um, and then try to build off of that because I don't want to put a team in UPSL into a semi-professional platform without there being an end goal. So what's the goal behind us putting, building a team in UPSL? Uh, the goal would be to still build exposure for them. Right. Um, so how are we building exposure for them on that semi-professional platform? You know, who do we have relationships with? What colleges are looking at, at them during these matches? All those are questions that are still very important. I don't want to build a team just to win in there. We have to build a team with a purpose. What's the purpose of having them in that platform? Um, yes, we want our uh, 16, 17, 18-year-olds to be playing against grown men, but who's looking at these 16, 17, and 18-year-olds? Like, what's the point? Um, so we have to always ask ourselves that question. Um, and that's very, very important to me. I don't want to do stuff without purpose, right? It needs to be done with with the purpose and, and make sure we're always answering those questions of why are we doing it? Hey, everyone. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode this week. Coach Raymond was a fun person to talk to. And a lot of our chats we've had, sidebars and up leading up to this has been wonderful. And I hope you guys enjoyed his message and doing things with a purpose and listening to next week's episode because it's part two and we kind of just picked up where we left off. And I hope you guys enjoy it. Hey everyone, if you guys have enjoyed this podcast, have enjoyed what I've been trying to do, the messages that I'm putting out there, please give me some ratings, some stars on all the podcast sites that you listen to this on. Give me a review, share this, share with others. The more I can make this grow, the more I can continue doing this. I'm really trying to make a difference in our soccer community. So I hope you guys have enjoyed all this. And until next time, I'll see you at the pitch.